So uh, it's almost Halloween, right? That's this week. And um, some of you, I saw yesterday, Greenwood, every Saturday before Halloween, the businesses give out candy. Uh, and so we have preloaded our kids' candy bowls with even more candy because we went and got it from the businesses yesterday. Saw some crazy costumes. And uh, I was reflecting. I went for a walk uh, the other day, kind of around where the, our, our office is now at United Evangelical Free Church, a mile down the road. And I went for a walk in the neighborhood uh, and just was marveling at how Halloween decorations is now a thing. I don't remember it being a thing when I was growing up. I remember jack-o'-lanterns, carved pumpkins with candles. That was about it. But now, I mean, you can make it, if you can put a fan and make it inflatable, then you can make a decoration out of it. Um, and, but then, then I, saw, um, I saw this house. Which is like, kind of next level. Would you, Alistair, would you trick or treat there? You would? Oh, he would. I would not. Um, yeah. This, I mean, you may know this, uh, Halloween, its origins are kind of this mixture of like druidic superstitions about scaring off ghosts, but then the Catholic Church also wanted to honor um, honor the saints that have gone before us, uh, who've passed on, those that have died. And so then uh, they uh, made November 1st All Souls Day or All Saints Day. And so then this became All Hallows' Eve. Anyway, however you look at it, whatever the roots are of this holiday, it is a holiday that, uh, that makes us face death a little bit more than we might during our, the normal course of our lives. Uh, there's much in our, our culture and in our lives that sort of uh, is, is designed to help us avoid thinking about death, Right? Uh, and it's not something maybe that we're inclined to think about a lot, but we do uh, around this time. And I actually think that there's, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever recommend decorating your house like that picture necessarily. But I do think that there can be some health, uh, some, some life and some goodness in reflecting on our end. Reflecting on uh, the fact that this life that we live now... Um, in, in its physical nature, will at one point come to an end. And our passage this day, uh, we're, we've been in 2 Timothy, which most scholars think is probably Paul's last letter, or at least the last letter that we have record of. Uh, and we catch Paul at the end of his last letter, reflecting on his end. Reflecting on what is, uh, what is inevitable for all of us. Uh, perhaps, perhaps it's closer for some of us than it is for others. Um, depending on how much candy you eat this week, it might be closer for you than you realize. Um, But, uh, I mean, we've sung about this even already in several of the songs, right? Good Christian songs, good hymns, I think, bring this to our mind. Allow us to reflect on our end. Um, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, oh, what joy will fill my heart, right? Uh, In 10,000 Reasons, on that day, uh, when my, my strength is failing, um, it's, it can be good to reflect on our end. And so that's where we catch Paul at the, uh, at the end of this letter to this young pastor who's pastoring this church in Ephesus. And so we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and starting in verse 6. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all 
who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Some of these people we know, some of them we don't know anything about. But Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted, deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Increase our longing for you. Help us to think about the end, our end with you. The end that ultimately is not an end, Lord, but simply a transition part of this eternal life that we get to live with you, even now. Be our teacher this morning, Lord. We love you. Amen. The beginning and the end of this passage, I feel like, are some of Paul's most beautiful reflections on uh, his own facing the end. And then in the middle uh, is just a very human, uh, it's this part of uh, this passage where we just get Paul's very human reaction to feeling very alone at the end of his life. Uh, people have left him. They've le- some people have deserted him. Other people have left him. Other people he's sent. Um, you know, it's just this, this reflection of this is the state I'm in. I feel, uh, I feel alone. And yet, the hope at the end, right, is that in the midst of all of this, God has been at his side. So I think we're going to focus on, on the, the opening passage and then the, that last paragraph that we read there. Paul, Paul loves the running metaphor. I realize I think the last time I was up here preaching, I also talked about the, the two-mile or the two-hour barrier being broken in, in the marathon. And um, I'm sorry if you don't like running. It's not me. It's Paul. <laughs> but he loves this, this metaphor uh, as an image of what it is to run the, to, to, to this journey of faith that we're on, that it's like a race. Um, even the, the imagery that he invokes here of fighting the good fight, it has more of an athletic uh, nature to that metaphor than it does to a battle. It's, and any of you that have ran before, you know that it, it is a fight. <laughs> uh, so he senses, right, that this race that he's been running is coming to an end. And this notion of end, I think, is very fascinating because it's clear that Paul senses something is finishing, something's wrapping up, this, this earthly life. But there's also the sense that it's not the end, as in, like, there's, there's actually something after that, right? There's, the, there's a, a finish line, but then there's, there's something after that, and it's, it's rest, and it's peace, and it's this crown of righteousness. It's this, this kind of the image of, of the completion of his salvation, Right, that he's been running this race, he's received a salvation from God, but, but after death, this is when he gets to experience it in its fullness. 
There's intimacy there. There's, there's Christ meeting him face to face. Uh, there's a Greek word, uh, telos. Maybe you've, you've heard it before. That it kind of speaks to this nature of an end. It, it's, not, it's not just an end as in a, a finishing, a completion of something, but it's an end as in a, something that has a purpose, right? So this sermon will have an end uh, in a few minutes. I will stop. That will be the end of the sermon. But there's also an end to this sermon in that there's a purpose in it. There's a goal for it that we would be uh, wrapped up in this passage, that God would speak to us through his word. Um, And the same is true of our lives, right? This is what Paul's reflecting on. Our lives will have an end. There will be a time when our earthly life, our physical life, will be done. But there is also another end to our life that is beyond just the ending of our physical life. There's a purpose and a goal and an aim and a finish line. And this is union with Christ. Something that we get to experience now, but we will experience in its fullness when he comes again or when we, uh, when we die. I think that we have, um, we have many ends, I think, that shape the direction of our life, right? To know your, to know your end, to know where the finish line is, um, that will impact the course that your life takes and the decisions that you make. Uh, I, I want to submit that I think for most of us, most of the time, the end, as in the, the goal of our lives, feels like survival. Does that resonate with any of you? I, it feels like that's often the case for me. Uh, there was a, a thing uh, on Facebook that I saw a while back about someone saying that being an adult is telling yourself that things will calm down next week, telling yourself that until you die. <laughs> um, and I feel like that caps, encapsulates well this sense of just surviving from one thing to the next. And I think that that is a, a grossly insufficient finish line for this life that we have, this life that Christ has given us. Um, and it's really easy to approach different areas of our lives uh, as the finish line. So um, uh, parenting, maybe, can be this finish line of like, well, I've got 18 years and then freedom. You know, I, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that with all these young, brand new babies that we've got here. Uh, you know, or our work, right? The, the, the notion that um, our work, the purpose of our work, the end goal of our work is to work long enough to save enough in retirement so that we don't have to work anymore. Like, is that, is that a compelling, is that a sufficient end, a sufficient vision for our work? Or is there something, is there something else? Is there a bigger, better, uh, different finish line as we think about what the end and the purpose of our work is? Um, for me, I, Summer and I got married, uh, I was 28, almost 29, is that right? Late 20s. We'll just say late 20s. I had wanted to be married for a while. I had longed for that. That was a goal of mine, something I wanted. Um, And I got engaged and then ended the engagement and then met Summer. Then we got engaged. Then we got married. And it was so good. I finally had achieved this goal. I'd finally uh, gotten married and I found that I was still stuck with me. (laughs) That this... this goal, this, this finish line that I had, had thought a lot about and dreamed a lot about was, um, was not a good finish line. Does that make sense? Marriage is a great gift. 
Let me say that very clearly. <laughs> marriage is an amazing gift, and I am profoundly grateful to be married to Summer, um, but it is a terrible finish line. Does that make sense? I think our work can be the same thing. It can be this great gift that we have, but it is a terrible finish line. I'm sure that maybe there's things that you're thinking of now, things that uh, that you long for, or or this thought of, right? This thought of like, oh, next week things will calm down, right? That's a terrible finish line, uh, whether it's true or not, um, or it's an insu- maybe insufficient finish line is the way to think of it. And so when we have our eyes, like Paul, set on the right finish line, union with Christ, intimacy with Him, knowing Him face to face, when that's the finish line, well, then that shapes the way that we navigate life here and now. Uh, that gives us a different perspective. I, I'm always, every time I read uh, a letter from Paul where he's writing from prison, I have to stop and remind myself that he's writing from prison. And that always inevitably shapes how I read these letters because Paul is filled with hope. He's filled with joy. And yet he's writing from what I imagine to be the most hopeless, joyless place imaginable. But his, his circumstances uh, don't seem to impact uh, his, uh, his inner character, his, his inner joy. Um, and I think that's because Paul has this sense of what his finish line is. And it, it, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with getting out of prison. Sure, he hopes to get out and he hopes to go and do these other, these other travels and journeys. And, uh, but that's not his ultimate hope. His ultimate hope lies in a place that prison can't touch. Right, Philippians is this letter that is, is marked with joy. It just joy oozes from this letter. And Paul writes that letter from jail. Um, I, I was, I was think, in thinking about finish lines and end goals and, and how that impacts decisions that we make, I thought about budgeting. Um, we're not amazing at budgeting, but we've started to pay more attention to the spreadsheet that we created uh, and, you know, the first thing that you do when you go to set out a budget is you just put hard facts and data in there. You're just putting in, like, income, you know, outflow, expenses. Um, but that's not ultimately what a budget is for, right? A budget is for setting goals. You have to know what your aim is when you're creating a budget. Otherwise, it's just kind of meaningless data. But if you know that your goal is saving for retirement or saving for a house or for college or whatever it is, when you know what your goal is, then that helps you make what can be, at times, painful decisions. When you would like to spend money on something else, but you're reminded, no, no, my finish line is this. My, my aim is this. So that softens the pain of cutting back on the lattes or whatever it is, whatever the hard decision is that you have to make around your budget, right? A budget is a, is a, a way of helping us get towards a financial finish line of sorts. And when you have that proper end, that proper finish line in mind, then it helps you make better decisions. It helps you live in the day-to-day in a way that keeps you pointed towards that finish line. And so I think uh, as we think of um, how do we apply this, how do we actually live here and now as a people who have this finish line and goal of union with Christ, people who are not afraid to think about the end because we know that in one sense, right, the end is not the end. There's, there's more to life after the end of this life. 
I think two things from this passage that really strike me are longing and presence. It's fascinating to me that uh, when Paul's talking about... I'm going to pull this out again. Goodness, that keeps falling. There we go. Uh, When Paul is talking about what's coming to him, that as he finishes this, he senses the end is near. As he finishes this fight, he finishes this race, um, there is in store for him a crown of righteousness, which God will give to him, and not only to him, but all who have been super virtuous their whole life. That's not what he says. All who have, fill in the blank with whatever you think the the, the proper virtue is. Um, Paul says this, all who have longed for his appearing. And I, for me, I think the, the, the more I grow in my Christian faith, the more I feel like longing is the chief among Christian virtues. Longing and love are cousins, right? And, and I think that longing, uh, aching for that which is not yet here, but which we have confident hope is coming, I think that is a virtue that I, I want to see grow in mine and in our hearts. And Paul says that that's a marker of those who are going to receive this crown of righteousness, those who are going to see Christ face to face, is that they're, they're those who are longing for his appearing. We're, we're coming up here in um, a little over a month. We're going to enter into the season of Advent. This is part of the church calendar uh, that leads us up to Christmas, to um, the birth of Christ. But longing is one of the central themes of Advent. And, and we, we sing the songs of longing, uh, kind of remembering what it must have been like for uh, the Israelites, longing for the arrival of the Messiah. But we also sing it as people who are longing for Christ's return. And as, you, as we start to sing these songs of Advent, pay attention. Pay attention to the tone and to the lyrics of these songs, these hymns, um, and, and look for the longing that is expressed in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? I mean, it's the best of all the best hymns, but partly because I think it taps into that longing. The other, uh, the other thing that is, uh, I hope for us, a, a word of grace and word of comfort this morning is, again, here's Paul, lonely, right? All these people have left him. Uh, he's writing from prison. He senses his end is near. And yet he is comforted because in the midst of, uh, in the midst of all of this, these difficult circumstances, he has sensed that God has been with him. The presence of God has been a source of comfort and a source of strength for him. Everyone's deserted him. No one came to his defense. But the Lord stood at his side and gave him strength in order that through him, the message of God's grace would go out to even more people. I mean, these are the kinds of things that Paul's so focused on a different finish line than I think the ones that we are naturally inclined to, to focus on, that even in the midst of being in prison, he's still focused on the message of grace and good news going out into the world, to the nations. We don't run this race alone. And here's another running image. Sorry. Uh, this is from that, uh, the, the race where Eliud Kipchoge, um, he, he uh, ran a marathon in under two hours. And uh, they designed... 
I mean, there was a lot of thought and preparation that went into this race. And, uh, and one of the things that they were very, very careful about, so first of all, they hired like 40 of the world's best runners to be as pacemakers. And they rotated, there was a course that kind of went back and forth and they took turns and rotated. But this was the formation that they ran in. With Elliot there in the white shirt, two people right behind him on his left and his right, and then this kind of reverse V in the front. And I, 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 was, I was reading this passage and I, I was thinking about this image uh, and I was like, this is the visual representation of the prayer of St. Patrick, St. Patrick's breast, breastplate, um, that Christ would be before and behind me, on my right and on my left. This is what Paul's talking about when he says, though everyone else abandoned me, um, God, the Lord stood at my side, gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully pro- proclaimed to all the Gentiles, all the nations. And I, 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 was, I was just struck by the, the surrounding and very purposeful um, placement of these pacemakers that provided the most strength and encouragement and support as he ran this race. I don't know, there's something about this that, that st- we're, we're going to sing, we're going to end the service by singing that song, singing St. Patrick's Prayer. Um, and uh, I, 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 need to, uh, I need to remind myself of this truth. That as you go into your weeks and into your days, um, as you go into your work, as you go and face um, what ultimately are, are insufficient finish lines, right? Uh, thinking about your, your ideals for finances or relationships or work and all those things, which are good. They're good gifts, but they're Terrible finish lines. <laughs> um, you go into those places surrounded by the God who is ever-present with us, though we cannot see him. Maybe this image can stick in your mind. Uh, most mornings when I'm dropping off the kids uh, at school, I'll, I'll kneel down or kind of bend down and just whisper in their ear, know that Jesus walks with you today. Uh, I want them to go into school with that sense that they're not alone, though sometimes school can feel that way. But I also say that to them to remind me of that fact, <laughs> that as I am dropping them off, as I'm heading off to work or to wherever I'm going, um, that Jesus walks with me today. And I think as that becomes... Uh, more and more embedded in my imagination and in my soul, um, I think that's going to shift the needle on where my finish line is. I trust that that's true. I hope that that's true. My finish line moves further and further away from house or money or relationship or work or things that are genuinely good, but more and more onto union with Christ, intimacy with Christ. That's my hope. Let's take a moment, and uh, before we come to the Lord's table, before we come and experience another sacrament, another tangible, physical expression of God's invisible grace, um, we're going to take a moment and just be silent in prayer. I'll, I'll, I'll lead us in a, a couple of ideas to pray about, but mostly we'll just have some space to be silent together. Lord, as we have heard from Paul, as we have heard from your word this morning, 
about running the race, about longing for you. My prayer is that you would increase the longing in our hearts for you. 